we're so out of practice. I'm so out of practice. I don't know. I, I feel very rusty now. I have been podcasting behind your back, so. <laughs> I think we have a cold open. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. And Yay! <laughs> that's the sound of me blowing dust off the microphone. <laughs> so it's it's been quite a while. Um, we've had some uh, some stuff going on personally and just trying to keep on top of everything. But uh, we've taken the break and we've, um, I guess, gathered some things to talk about and have a little bit of a plan for the future. And uh, yeah, we're, we're back at it. So Thank you for everyone who's stuck around and is still downloading our episodes. <laughs> yeah, I think um, at least my podcast player has a little uh, little moon icon beside our show now, saying that we're inactive. So hopefully we can, uh, you know, we can scrub that off the off the screen of, of people's phones and uh, actually have some of them listen to us again. Hopefully they haven't deleted the subscription to our show. Yeah, no more mooning people then. <laughs> deal, deal. Yeah, Andrew, um, thank you very much for doing the intro today because uh, we're just laughing about how how rusty we, we've been with a six-month hiatus from uh, uh, sitting in front of a microphone. But yeah, I totally echo what you say. It's, it's very good to be back. And folks, we have uh, three topics for you today. It's just Andrew and myself. Uh, we're going to cover uh, a new technology, well, new to us technology that we've been uh, playing around this last week and hopefully for a little while longer. Um, and then uh, a new development in uh, in the latest iPhone, as well as an interesting study that uh, kind of may support the fact that my mom was right all along. So <laughs> I think that just goes without saying. Your mom is always right, or that's maybe what, not that's your mom, thinks. but everyone's mom. <laughs> well, maybe you know, it's like it's like the collective, the collective always being very accurate, right? Like if you take the collective of moms, that's probably that you're, that you're probably <laughs> on average, right. all moms are right. <laughs> On average, the the average mom is right. Okay, I can I can live with that statement. There's okay. enough averages enough. in there to to wipe out any bias. <laughs> exactly, that's the idea. Okay, let's talk about the first thing, um, and that is that uh, after after uh, I don't know how many emails, but uh, uh, after several emails, let's say, uh, Andrew and I were able to get on the wear trial for the Super Sapiens Continuous Blood Glucose Meter and the the ecosystem that those folks have built around it, um, which uh, I am uh, super excited about because it's it's something that, it's a technology that has been on my radar pretty much since it came out um, mm-hmm. with, with kind of a bang. Uh, you will see it on the arms of uh, a lot of high profile athletes out there. Um, and I've, uh, I've had to be, you know, to be fair, I've had some healthy skepticism, uh, about how useful this tech is. And I am very excited about the fact that, uh, Super Sabians accepted us into the wear trial and that, uh, we can, uh, you know, see for ourselves. Yeah, it's, um, well, it's something that, uh, I've been keeping my eye on as well, especially when they were the Ironman sponsors. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at the website a few times and when is this going to be available in Canada? Well, there's no answer. So <laughs> it's going through FDA approvals from what I understand. And <clears throat> I don't know the exact details of where they are in that process, but I know that uh, the FDA can be pretty pretty stringent. So it could take some time to get into that. Um, but the good news is the um, 
the the sensor is available for any European athletes and listeners, um, but in North America, it's not something we've had access to. So I remember being frustrated by it, but then just kind of pushing it off to the side of my mind, thinking, okay, well, I'll take a look at this when it's available. But uh, Michael pulled his strings and got us into the trial, and <laughs> it's uh, it's been pretty neat. Um, yeah, I mean, I was skeptical as well, but um, I think when you see the... When you see the installation method, you know they mean business. <laughs> totally. So, okay. So, um, let's let's start with what this is. I mean, pr- probably there's a good chance that uh, most people listening to the show uh, are aware of what what Super Sapiens is and what continuous blood glucose monitoring is, at least tangentially. But uh, let's talk about you know very quickly what the what the premise is. Um, and uh, okay, so everyone's let's start with uh, blood glucose. Uh, of course, glucose is the the primary you know energy fuel for for the you know the chemical metabolism that goes on inside our bodies uh we've talked about glucose metabolism in the past uh well quite some time ago so i'm not going to go over that again but uh suffice to say there is a a lot of reasons and some of which we will talk about today why you may want to know what your blood glucose level is and probably even more than that, how it responds to, to stimuli. So those stimuli could be either, you know, activity uh, or, um, you know, nutrition intake or, uh, you know, even sometimes mental states and, and, uh, and, you know, stressful events that may not be intensely physical. It's surprising what can influence this. Um, <laughs> so I'll leave that as a little teaser for later on. But uh, yeah, it's, um, no, it's, Really neat technology. I don't pretend to understand how it works. Um, <laughs> I could probably figure out most of the electronics, but uh, as soon as it gets into the the actual measurement, um, yeah, that's beyond me. <laughs> we'll, we'll get we'll get somebody, folks. We'll get somebody from photos uh, from uh, from Super Sapiens on the show. We are already talking to and and trying to schedule a date who will who can take us through all that uh, fun geeky stuff. But suffice to say, right now it's a sensor that that's about the size of a of a dollar coin. Uh, maybe I don't know. Three millimeters thick, four millimeters thick. That might be a Canadian um, reference. A Canadian thing. Okay, so what? What do we? What do we got? What two and two two and a half centimeters in uh, in diameter? Yeah, it's the size of a two euro coin for European sure. listeners, or <laughs> bigger than a quarter for American listeners. Yes, there you go. It's not very big, uh, and then it uh, it sits on your upper arm. It's um, it's installed in a really neat way, as Andrew says. It with uh, <laughs> I'll tell that story to you. I'm going to throw you <laughs> under the bus here. <laughs> if you, if you, if you I'll don't. throw myself <laughs> under the bus. Um, so the <laughs> uh, the installation process is uh, is pretty interesting. It's it's a little bit similar to the um, uh, the uh, blood uh, lactate analyzers. If anyone's ever used that, or or like the traditional uh, diabetes pinprick uh, device where it has a spring-loaded uh, needle that uh, that penetrates the skin and installs this sensor. And then after the needle penetrates the skin, the only part of the sensor that is uh, subdermal is a flex- little flexible filament that you don't really feel. And the, the installation actually is is fully painless, but uh, it's it turns menacing, out, though. <laughs> it, <laughs> that's an excellent that's excellent way to describe it. Um, I knew I had a little bit of a of a thing with needles, but I I. I, when I first set this thing up and I was looking at it and then you can see that, you know, it's maybe a centimeter long needle. It's very fine. And I, you could see it. And I know that that thing is going in my arm. I could not come up with the, the mental resolve to actually <laughs> install this thing myself, to actually, to, to press it against my skin. And, and it's, it, you, all you have to do is apply a little bit of pressure and then the spring does the rest. Uh, and you don't have to extract it. It just, it takes care of itself. It's just, uh, 
I, I couldn't do it. And I, after no, no joke, like 30 minutes in my washroom trying to psych myself up to do this, I had to ask uh, my partner, Diana, to give to just do it for me. Because other than that, if, if it was for that, I wouldn't I was going to end up with no sensor in my arm. So um, but after that little roadblock, which was entirely uh, psychological, um, the the entire process in terms of physical process has been uh, wholly painless. So here's a good question for you. Do you think next time you'll have the same reservations about the installation now that you've gone through it? So here's the thing. So I've had this thing in my, this is day nine, I think, and they, they last for 14 days. So I'm going to let you know in, uh, in <laughs> what, six days, <laughs> whether or not I, I could, I could get up the nerve to actually inject myself with this thing. It's not, not that's not even an accurate term of, to install it myself. Can you do us a favor and record? This? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, actually, I, I think that's a great idea. I will do it and I'll post it and it'll be almost like, it'll be, um, it'll be another impetus for me to, it'll be like an accountability element for me to actually get this thing done myself. Excellent. Uh, so despite making fun of you, I will admit that um, I had a moment of hesitation too. I, I was able to install it myself, but I looked at it and you see this giant needle or what seems like a giant needle. And there's that hesitation where it's like, well, do I really want to jab myself with this? And then ultimately, at least for me, the answer was yes. But uh, yeah. Okay. So before uh, I ask you what you've learned and I share what I've learned, Andrew, uh, I'll talk a little bit more about the the uh, Super Sapiens kind of ecosystem. So once you know you get up the nerve to install this thing, on your arm it sits there for a little while and then after about 60 minutes starts to collect data uh, and then that data is sent to your smartphone um, there's also the uh, the possibility to have it displayed on your Garmin as a, as a data field or on I think on Wahoo as well it doesn't um, seem to record though I don't know if you've noticed that but I can't get a data field when I pull it into Connect IQ like it'll show it live but not yeah. uh, not after the fact oh is that right okay I haven't actually I haven't actually tried it yet so I've only been recording on my phone but record, I mean, it will record on your phone and there's still some opportunities there, I think, where you can, where one of the things I'm jumping ahead of the game, but like, I would love to see uh, blood glucose versus power or blood glucose versus versus heart rate as a plot, because I think there could be some really interesting correlations there. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, I haven't, I haven't gotten that far yet. But so yeah, so it, um, it displays on your phone and potentially, and at least displays on your Garmin, maybe not records on your Garmin. Um, you'd have to open up the fit file, I guess, to see see if there's a, uh, a column. I, I do wonder, um, <clears throat> because of geolocation locking, we had to do a workaround. And if it's properly yes. installed, it might be better. So we'll reserve judgment there. Um, but uh, ultimately, you can view it in the app. It's just hard to get the, the exact data comparison. So if you see your power levels change, for example, on the bike or your pace while you're running or your heart rate, um, seeing how that correlates to changing blood sugars. Um, so there's certainly room for improvement there. But I think the framework and the foundation for really interesting analytics is there. Mm -hmm, for sure. And it could just be that we're doing it wrong or that we're just geolocked, <laughs> as you say. We would never so. do something wrong. <laughs> of course. So so this app, so it, it gives you it gives you your live reading and then uh, it encourages you to log events like food, sleep um, and any kind of activity. Uh, and then from there, um, one thing that I really appreciate about the way Super Sapiens is doing things. Um, and, uh, you know, before I go on praising Super Sapiens, one thing I'll say is that uh, we, they're certainly not paying us to, to talk about them, but we are getting, uh, you know, complimentary sensors as part of this wear trial. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that, that should be said. Um, so one of the things that I do like about what they do is they, they, they treat, um, the whole, uh, exercise as an experiment, right? So there's a lot of kind of verbiage about experimentation and about trial and error and, uh, and trying to find, 
um, you know, what works for the individual or even like try to trying to find correlations for the individual? It's it's not even that much different than training methodologies, I would say, because um, everyone has a different response. Everyone totally performs differently under different conditions. So and honestly, one of the best things and I maybe shouldn't say this, but uh, one of the best things about the app is this information that they provide you with. And I would say at least half of the value of what I've gotten out of it already is just reading the supplemental information, not even looking mm-hmm. at the sensor results, but just the reading that they give you um, is pretty cool. Like it's stuff I hadn't really considered before. Um, like, and we'll talk about this later, but what what is up with apple cider vinegar? <laughs> yeah, okay, let's put a pin on that one because yeah. I, I do want to talk about it a little bit of like, um, so yeah, so the the app is great. So you log, uh, it it obviously monitors your blood sugar. Um, if you're if you're away from your phone for too long, you can tap the back of the phone to your sensor to update the last. I think it's up to eight hours. Um, otherwise, it records it live, and uh, you can then correlate with whatever activities or food you're eating, what the what the impact on the blood sugar level is. It does seem to record at a lower frequency when you're uh, when you're getting it later, um, and that's probably oh, a storage limitation. And I, I, I make that assumption just because the curves are a little bit smoother and not yes. not as jagged. So that's I wouldn't be surprised. Interesting observation, but, Andrew. Yeah, you don't. And this is just a common Bluetooth storage communication issue. But uh, yeah, you don't necessarily need the high resolution data. Um, sometimes it's more noise than anything because I, I doubt the sensor is accurate to the or at least clinically accurate to the number of decimals they give you or the number of Mm -hmm. significant digits. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, uh, I don't know what the error is. It's probably available in some of the FDA documentation, but uh, if it's say 2%, plus or minus 2%, everything within that range could be, you know, questionable noise. But uh, once it goes beyond that, um, yeah. So anyway, my point being that when you have it live connected to the app, you get a whole bunch of little squiggles. But they do actually seem to correspond mostly to things, uh, whether it's behavior, whether it's uh, food, whether it's stress. Um, yeah, so it's pretty neat stuff. I think I've said that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're on the same page there. So okay, so so that's the that's the outline of the. Um, uh, of the ecosystem, and I, I do want to echo something that you said, Andrew. That the I've gotten a ton of utility out of reading the little helpful tips, um, and so beyond the the way that beyond my appreciation for the way that they they treat uh, they treat the whole thing as an experiment, because it, it, it that's one of the things that I that I think that is a to me a welcome approach to that a new wearable takes. It doesn't say, oh, you should here it, it's it's less prescriptive than other other wearables that I've seen that say, oh, you know, your uh, measurement is X and that means that you should do Y. Right. In this case, Super Sapiens doesn't really do that. I think especially in this wear trial phase, they're more although it is live for for our European listeners, of course. Um, it's more of see what your own personal correlations are. And I find that that is a you know, kind of for my my engineering brain appreciates that that level of thinking, but uh, yeah, the articles that they offer and they they drip them in in a really in a, in a logical way. Whoever did the kind of their communication or UI, uh, I I give that individual kudos because it it makes a lot of sense. You don't get overwhelmed with information because it it's very easy to overwhelm somebody, even somebody who has a pretty good understanding of the subject matter. Uh, it's dripped over over a period of time, and I think that is an excellent way to deliver it. So it sort of takes you on an educational journey as you're um, as you're experimenting with yourself. And they give you daily emails as well, um, and that's part of the the drip that's happening. Um, so it's I think it's a very well thought out uh, ecosystem 
and it's something that uh, is structured to help get people up to speed. So it's not diving into the deep end because I know if you have, say, a power meter or even core body temperature sensors, which we've talked about a lot, it's hard to um, just dive into that and fully understand what what matters what's you know what's the big deal basically totally and And this metabolism stuff is way more complicated than either like i would say more like core body temperature or mechanical power output on the bike just because of like of all the the myriad of inputs and outputs it's it's almost like watching a pong game going on in your body (laughs) so it's uh yeah i mean it's at at it's most basic. Your body is going through some kind of control system where there's inputs and outputs and it's trying to maintain blood sugars. And this is um, me over engineering. This is when things. you dust off your like third year engineering textbooks and <laughs> yep. see what, what control yep. systems My control systems about. course. What's the That's Fourier the course that I <laughs> almost failed. That was the one that was like control systems almost broke me. Calculus was never my friend and you can't really understand control systems without having a good grasp of calculus. Yeah. And almost then- uh, me out of school. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think every mechanical engineer feels exactly the same way about control systems and then (laughs) converting to Fourier space and things like that. Anyway, um, yeah, what your body's trying to do is it's trying to maintain this pretty steady level of uh, of blood glucose because you operate within a certain range um, and it's got to be ready. Your muscles have to be ready for activity, Um, not necessarily fully primed, but have like a baseline level. And during this regulation, what I often see is you'll eat and then it will spike and then drop down as your body is compensating for it. So sometimes you get this crash after eating and I'm sure a lot of people have felt that before, Mm -hmm. but it becomes very, very visual when you see the graphs here. Totally. Yeah. I was going to start, I was going to ask you what you learned. So that's the first thing that you're learning is, uh, and I see the same thing, obviously, and we can talk about why that happens, but we're certainly not subject matter experts. So we can, you know, I can, I can pare it back what we've, uh, what I've read in, in the documents that, that super sapiens has sent me, but maybe we'll, we'll have them explain it when they're on, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a hormonal reaction. It's, uh, it's, that's what, that's what your insulin does is that it, it suppresses the, the spike in blood sugars and, and puts it into storage in a very, very, very rough, explanation. Um, but that reaction hypoglycemia that happens after that insulin release is what is what you're talking about. And it's, it is really super cool to see because then, you know, you feel you, you eat a big meal, and then you feel really sluggish. And this gives you almost like that feedback of what is going on on the inside with my blood sugar, which is my, you know, my easiest accessible energy uh, to cause me to feel like a piece of crap after that <laughs> Thanksgiving or Christmas or pick your holiday dinner here. Yeah. And it's, um, it's actually one of the prescriptive things they do give is they, in the documentation, they talk about maintaining as close to a steady blood sugar level as you can and -hmm. trying to slow down the, uh, the rises and the falls. And one of the recommendations they say is just taking a walk after you eat is good practice to help stabilize the blood sugars. And it avoids that spike, that crash that, that can come. Um, the other thing that, uh, I'll just mention it now because I want to get it off my mind. But uh, <laughs> they they talk about apple cider vinegar being a huge uh, stabilizing effect when it comes to uh, the spike in blood sugars. And you told me, like I saw it in their documentation, and you told me you tried it. And then I thought, okay, maybe there is something to it. And I tried it, and like it's incredible. So the same meal uh, in the breakfast, in the morning when I have breakfast, uh, like a bowl of cereal will cause the blood sugars to spike. And with the apple cider vinegar beforehand, which 
does not go well with the taste of milk, but uh, <laughs> this is science. Um, All in the name of, right? Yeah. Uh, but it just completely leveled that out. And it was like, it was still a noticeable increase, but not mm-hmm. much more than the fluctuations you get from just like normal movement. So, uh, and I dug into this a little bit and it doesn't seem like there's a scientific consensus on exactly what it's doing. Um, but, uh, and I could be wrong on this. There could be some more up-to-date things that I just didn't find, but uh, um, it is definitely a, uh, a dampening influence on your blood sugars, which is surprising and super cool so i've since bought Mm -hmm. some uh apple cider vinegar gummies because they taste much better than a shot of apple cider vinegar do they work is it the same is the the same effect because the the taste is a little bit polarizing uh oh you like it so actually uh, i yeah i i do i do like it i'm like two like one one part vinegar to two parts water uh and you know one ounce or 30 milliliters of vinegar roughly so on the rocks basically basically on the rocks yeah basically on the rocks and it tastes it tastes you know it's it's still very like tart and and you know has that that um that punch in the nose effect but it's i kind of like it it tastes a little bit like kombucha to me and uh i i enjoy it yeah i was taking it neat um i tried it neat a couple of times and that is like if you if you're not awake that that definitely gets you there better than a cup of coffee (laughs) <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's remarkable. So I'm, I'm very skeptical of these, you know, folk remedies as it were like, oh, you should, you should have some, some apple cider vinegar before you eat and that'll, you know, have some kind of miraculous health effect. I'm always very, very skeptical of that kind of stuff, but seeing it for myself and then having you confirm, you confirm my, my results and then having super sapiens say the same thing is just like, it's, it's, uh, it sounds it, it's like bullshit when you hear it. It totally <laughs> sounds like bullshit. Um, but and yeah, maybe because we also don't understand the mechanism behind it. It's just like it's harder for me, at least my brain to to uh, to accept something that I don't understand, even though there's you know countless examples of things that I accept that I don't understand. But this is one of those things that just smells bad to me, and no pun intended. And it's still, um, yeah. But it but it seems to work. Yeah, and there's a bunch of other things that they point out in terms of uh, order of eating that can have a big impact. So mm-hmm. if you have uh, fats and protein before carbohydrates, that will tend to have similar effects, maybe not to the same level, but it kind of dampens the quick intake of carbohydrates. um, And that can smooth out your blood sugars as well. Uh, And caffeine is another thing that they mentioned that can, uh, can aid quite a bit with smoothing that out. And I love hearing that because I am a (laughs) big fan of caffeine. You have another enabler now. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Excellent. So um, I think there, you know, folks, as we as we wear these things and as we learn new stuff and as we play around with them, because I haven't yet, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I haven't yet really done much training. I mean, the longest uh, workout I've done is maybe 90 minutes, so not long enough to really experience any sort of lows. Uh, so I haven't done like a long fasted workout, for example, as an experiment like they suggest, just because I don't hate myself that much. Yeah. And uh, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the workout protocol, experiment. yeah, the protocol they recommend, I'm like, are you insane? Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. That is that sounds terrible i there was like maximal power output basically fasted maximal power output for i can't remember what it was like 90 minutes or an hour or two hours and it was just like this is terrible this is like an absolutely horrendous the only thing that gets me through those time trials is the fact that i can put as much sugar into my face as as humanly possible (laughs) um that's the only thing that gets me through no i don't want to chew it has to be liquid (laughs) at that effort i don't want to i don't want anything solid 
I I did do a three and a half hour workout and okay, it yeah. was um <clears throat> it was interesting. So maybe I'll I'll send along a screenshot of my data that you can post to the mm-hmm. uh the web notes. But um there was an initial spike. So as your body gets warmed up, it releases glycogen and liberates that into the blood glucose there's adp atp i can't remember all those terms but uh, some of that stuff happens chemistry and we'll, science get, an, we'll get an expert on it yeah the glycogen glycogen is is broken yeah there's glucagon that breaks down the glycogen into into glucose that's what that's what creates the initial spike when you start training on a side note i like that glucagon is the name of the thing that gets rid of glycogen <laughs> <laughs> yes. good good nomenclature scientists yep so um yeah, the the workout though was pretty interesting because I had uh, um, a couple of. Uh, it turned out to be fairly weak uh, Gatorade mixes, just because I don't have the money to be using, you know, the more expensive uh, nutrition for the long workouts every time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so there there was definitely an impact, and I noticed when uh, like. I, I kind of crashed in the middle. So I had this initial spike when you start the workout and your glucagon is getting rid of your whatever. And well, it's like, yeah, it's, it's converting it to glucose that your muscles are, are yeah. hungry for. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that happens. Then you get a plateau for a while and then a steady decrease as you're depleting your glycogen stores. And then when you take on some carbohydrates, it jumps up again. But I was... I was unable to recover completely and I finished the workout, but I did have a dropout. So I was kind of maintaining, so 130 milligrams per deciliter, I think was kind of the, I think those are the units I use. And I, I dropped down to about 70. That's low in the performance. That's yeah. below their performance zone. I think 110 is their about. default performance the, the zone. The floor. Yeah. The yeah. floor of the performance zone. So I was way below that and I was, and I could feel it. Like it was very much uh, reflected in how my workout was going. So I pushed through and it did recover a little bit, but you get that uh, empty bonking feeling that uh, that goes along with it. So what was the intensity of your workout? It was um, it was kind of like Ironman effort. So, OK, so 70 like, percent FTP for okay. three yeah, hours. So like probably closer, closest to the, your aerobic threshold, maybe a little bit below. Yeah, so I would have been using some glycogen, but mostly fat metabolism for that workout. Um, yeah, we got it. We got to test you, but yeah, yeah, it's, there's it's definitely there's definitely there's definitely fat metabolism happening at that. Oh yeah, 100%. yeah, it's in that range where it starts to transition over. Um, yeah, well, it's probably like it sounds like it would be probably at ideally you wanted a maximal fat metabolism, right? So that that effort. Mm-hmm. But that's still that's still a fairly like that's not that's not an easy that's not like an easy base ride that you were doing. No, no, it was, uh, it sucked. <laughs> so, yeah. um, especially when you're doing it indoors, cause it was minus 25 that day. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that wasn't happening outside, but it was, uh, it was very interesting and seeing how, how I feel physically reflected in the numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, it was bang on, like it was starting to drop as I was starting to, and even before huh. I was starting to really notice the effects. And if anything, this has made me more attuned to how I start to feel before I'm crashing, which I think is the key because you don't want to crash. Yes. You want to 
catch it as it's falling yeah. or prevent it from it's falling. a lagging indicator 100 percent. you're spot on and i think this is something that we'll talk about listeners in future episodes because uh i think this is really interesting but you're absolutely right i think it's a lagging indicator and and it'll be interesting for for you to you know as you play around with your with your nutrition strategies for these longer efforts to see how you can prevent it and like and what what heralds that feeling and how quickly you can recover from it mm-hmm. um kind of in my experience you know if i'm putting my coach hat on you don't ever want to get there right like you you don't even want to feel like if you're if you're fueling correctly unless you have some reason to be doing a fasted workout and want that experience in which you should be doing very very sparingly and not often at all <laughs> i don't um, want that experience <laughs> no it's not it doesn't sound fun at all um you should yeah it, ideally you want to be fueling so that you never ever get there Mm-hmm. So that was a really neat takeaway from this. And yeah, I mean, I've only done a handful of workouts with it. Um, mm-hmm. So most of them have been shorter. And I, I don't know that the short workouts really tell you a whole lot because the, nope. the blood sugars just they're stabilizing still after an hour of workout, like they they spike, and then they drop and then they kind of plateau a little bit. So it for me, anyway, it was kind of stabilizing at that point. Um, but there was t- one time on the treadmill as well, where I just felt terrible. And it was kind of, it was a weird time of day that I don't usually work out. And then I saw the reading and it was like 50. I think it, it Oh, whoa, that's they, really low. Yeah. So it actually, their lower limit is 55 and I was at 55. So it doesn't output any data below that or above 240 or something. So, and I, I mean, I felt like I was going to pass out and yeah, it was, <laughs> it was indicating that I was in terrible shape. Um, wow. I've never, I've, yeah, yeah. My, my levels have always been pretty, pretty steady, maybe on the higher end of things. And I do, like, I have had problems with dizziness in the past and fueling for different hmm. uh, races. And so I, I do suspect that there's some kind of, um, uh, some kind of issue. So I'm, I'm half expecting to find out I'm diabetic by doing this, but, um, yeah, well, listen. If it if it catch you know if you catch something like that, that might be a good oh, thing. Oh yeah, you before know, doing any early. damage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You you know you talked about your experience with that one long workout and this this other one. My um, you know, obviously I want to use it for fueling. Um, but my biggest uh interest is actually in uh in looking at my levels and and trying to learn things outside of training. And we we talked about this obviously with the the spikes after eating. Because my goal is to see if I can use it for uh, body composition, right? So I want to I want to lose some fat um, because I think that's where my performance is going to come from uh, largely, especially especially for running, um, especially considering how like right now I'm uh, probably when I started I was 87 kilograms and probably 20% body fat, which is you know over fat for sure for the kind of performance I'm after. Um, and, uh, and so I want to see if I can use what I learned from, from super sapiens to, to drive that down and to, you know, maybe, I don't know what my goals are just yet, but, uh, to see if I can, if I can lose some of those, some of those fat pounds or kilos. Uh, and, uh, that's, that's kind of where I'm, that's where I'm looking at it from. So that the, the, that's the, the interesting thing that is that you can use, you can use it for, for either and or both. So I will say at this point that it hasn't been you know, all sunshine and rainbows, uh, in terms of the experience. So, um, there have been a few annoyances and I would say these are more mechanical than anything mm-hmm. else, but 
man, is it tough to keep that sensor attached without, <laughs> without doing anything to it. So they give you these, uh, basically they're these uh, covers that, uh, they're like kin tape with a little rubber, uh, spacer in the middle. And the first swim I did that was peeling off. And then I got some kin tape and just like wrapped it around my arm and that started <laughs> peeling off. And I just have not figured out a good way. And even my swim today, um, like the, the, tape came off completely. I was using elastics to hold the rubber thing on my arm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a nightmare. I was thinking more about that than I was my swimming, which is not the experience you want. So, um, and that's nothing to do with the sensor, which is not actually super sapiens responsibility either. That's Abbott uh, pharmaceuticals, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a separate company, but, um, yeah, it's, it's something that needs a little bit of work. I would say, uh, having a good, system um and maybe as a suggestion i know that uh when i had a whoop there was a silicone band that you could get to put over your wrist um so something like that in the pool would be a huge help um just to keep it from pulling up the side of that tape because it's super annoying when it does do that yeah yeah you don't want to go you don't want to go diving for it at the bottom of the pool yeah and once it's disconnected you can't reconnect it so and they're not cheap sensors either (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's something we can uh, we can send to Super Sapiens and see what they what they come back with and follow up on. Uh, I haven't been swimming. There's no 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 surprise gasps probably from anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't swam with it yet. Uh, it's it stayed on. You know, it stays on well in the shower, and I haven't had any issues with it yet. But I also haven't done anything very extreme with it. Although I have uh, I have noticed that even you know sometimes when I'm when I pull my t-shirt off too, too brusquely, I don't know what the right word is. It, like, it's it all has, those Baywatch slow motion moves you're doing. That's right. Well, no, slow motion would be fine. It's, it's that <laughs> it's, it's not slow motion. And then I've had the, uh, the edge of the adhesive start to start to peel off as well. So yeah, I, I can imagine it's not great in the pool. Yeah. So there are a few options on Amazon where, you, and I mean, it's just targeted at the base sensor, which is the LibraSense, the Abbott LibraSense, mm-hmm. Abbott LibraSense, which I think is just the, uh, the one that's targeted towards diabetics, but you can have a, a strap that will protect it. Um, I haven't tried that yet. They sell their own or not they, but there's an aftermarket, uh, overseas supplier. I'm sure that supplies like kin tape that's just cut in round circles. That kind of looks like what, uh, super sapiens provides just not as, not as expensive looking, but maybe that's <laughs> worth doing. Um, not branded, not branded, not, not as much effort went into the design, let's say. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of ways around it, but I haven't find, found something that makes it comfortable to swim yet, but, uh, that's just, that's a personal journey. Maybe other people who have less sweat or less hairy arms or more hairy arms have. No, uh, hair, is, hair is bad for adhesion, right? So, uh, yeah, if, <laughs> definitely they say, you know, in their instructions, they say, find uh, the least hairy part of your upper arm. You may have to, you may have to shave, buddy. I, I did actually, but only where uh, the sensor went. Um, so the rest of the kin tape uh, went on, not super hairy. I'm not like a gorilla or anything, but. Uh, what's your Chewbacca score? It's, it's low. <laughs> It's not zero, but it's not, uh, I'm not uh, nine or a 10 there. Um, so yeah, there's, I mean, a few minor things, but, uh, these are all kind of teething problems that I think as they get feedback from users, they'll figure out. And it's, like I said, it's a mechanical thing. It doesn't impact the sensor at all. It's just takes away from the purpose of it when you have to cut a workout short, if you're afraid it's going to fall off. Totally. Okay. Um, let's leave it there for, uh, for super sapiens as to be continued uh, continued for sure. And, uh, we will have, 
hopefully one of their one of their uh, head folks on the show in January. That's kind of that's our timetable currently. Um, let's talk about. We have a couple of other quick things that we wanted to mention. Um, Andrew, why don't you take this one? It's uh, a development in the latest generation of the iPhone that might be relevant to some of the more adventurous endurance athletes out there. Yes, and is there anything more divisive than iPhone versus Android? Uh, <laughs> it's, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe immunization is up there. But uh, um, one of the really cool things, and I am admittedly an iPhone user now. I used to be Android, but uh, I switched over. Um, and this this is something that uh, Android can potentially replicate, so I don't want to say it's just an iPhone thing. But the new feature in the iPhone 14 is actually the ability to make emergency calls by satellite. Um, so this for me is super relevant and super cool because, um, not only can you make these emergency calls if you get hurt and there's no cell reception, but you can just as a thank you or as an, a nice update, you can send your location again by satellite to a group of people who are kind of on your, your shared location list. So if you're going out in a backcountry hike or camping or a trail run that has no cell reception, uh, and you have your phone with you. If you get hurt, if something happens, you can basically point your, well, you don't even have to point it at the sky, but uh, you orient your phone so that you pick up the closest satellite. And these are near Earth orbit satellites, so they are moving over top of you. They're not uh, geosynchronous, but um, that allows you to uh, basically communicate with, um, I think right now it goes to an Apple dispatch team, and then it goes to local emergency crews. So you cool. can send some fundamental information, like I was in a car accident, or I broke my bone, or I'm attacked by an animal, or I'm having an asthma attack, uh, stuff like that. And then they will triage your injury, and if necessary, they'll send um, they'll send out emergency crews to rescue you. So. Uh, the other thing that's kind of neat is if you do get into this situation where you need this, the message chain is basically copied over to your emergency health contacts. So they get to see what's happening, which, you know, <laughs> may be good, may be bad, depending on exactly well, what probably is. probably good. They're, 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 they're probably worried about you. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, for the moment, it's free uh, from Apple, which is not usually the way that they do things, yeah. but, uh, so two years, it's free for two years and they haven't really decided what's going to happen after that. Um, currently there's only limited countries that it's available in. And part of that, from what I understand is just the infrastructure that they need to set up with emergency crews. So they need to, mm, sure. they need to get that in place. And then part of it, I think is regulatory slash politics. And that's where China, Russia, and Hong Kong come in. Uh, and that's not available from phones that are. Uh, Do you remember just, which countries it's available in? So I, our I listeners are kind of you know worldwide. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's mainly well Canada and the U.S. or U.S. and Canada, I should say, in that order was probably their priority. Uh, and I believe there's some other um, European countries. So I think Germany, France, the Netherlands, UK. I think they're being rolled out. Uh, just as the agreements and as the framework gets put up. And it's probably more relevant in like the the more, you know, the bigger, the, the physically, ge you know, kind of geographically larger countries that have greater areas. I imagine in like the UK, there probably isn't a ton of real estate without cell coverage, right? But in, in Canada, it's like, 
you know, there's cell coverage 100 kilometers north of the border with the with the United States, and that's about and like maybe a couple of the well, obviously the bigger on cities on the highways, and that's about on it on the highways, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, like 95 percent of the country probably has zero reception. And there was actually a story coming out of Alaska for someone who went uh, snowmobiling, and it. The, the the snowmobile broke down and he had this and i mean half the responses were these the, like the comments on this article were these snarky like oh you should have been prepared before going out but the point being that he had this and he was able to be rescued in a situation that could have been potentially fatal um but the one caveat there is that because of the uh, line of sight for the satellites. If you get too far north, there's limited coverage just because there's no satellites orbiting and that uh, that band. So, yeah, it's a very neat feature. I really hope that um, it helps people. And I think it's like the convenience of just being able to update your location is pretty cool as well. Super um, cool. So yeah. I just hope that it's not. It doesn't have that effect of. I forget what the effect is called, but it's it's the effect. Oh, you that, let your you know, guard if, down because you've got the. Yeah, or you take unnecessary risks because you assume that you have this failsafe device that will get your ass out of trouble, um, and uh, you know you do stupid stuff. So hopefully that doesn't that doesn't end up happening. Of course, it probably will. If you do stupid stuff on your own without having that safety net, then there's no change. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. Sometimes uh, I this... fall into that category. <laughs> oh, don't we all? Um, and this is a, a kind of relevant for for maybe for us because um, one of the one of the stupid things that I want to do in uh, in 2023 is uh, uh, try to try to do uh, an unsupported hike run of the Laclosse Trail in Killarney. Uh, I think it's a provincial park. Yeah, it's provincial park in Ontario, Canada. Here, uh, it's really like a lovely trail. It's I think seventy-three-ish kilometers long. Uh, quite technical. Uh, usually, it's a four to seven-day uh, hike uh, to to do the loop. Um, but uh, lots of folks have done it in uh, in a day, uh, kind of without any you know without any camping, just uh, just kind of doing it as a, a through hike slash trail run because you do have to run portions of it to make it obviously. Um, and then Andrew's considering coming with me in, in October to do it. And then Andrew is Andrew and Andrew's iPhone 14 will be welcome additions yes. to this, uh, to this attempt. <laughs> after I told myself I'd never do something 70 to 80 kilometers long after doing the, uh, the sinister seven race, the half race, <laughs> there's less, there's less total elevation here, but the, the terrain is technical. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, It'll we'll see fun. how that plays out. <laughs> well, I'm probably I'm going to do it either way. We might have to I might have to rent an in an an in reach or something like that if you don't come. We'll we'll make sure that you're safe and covered. Yes, deal. So we've got one more topic here that I think I'll have to toss over to you because it is well outside of my experience. Yeah, uh, and this is this is where this is the bit that uh, I let in with saying that my it sounds like my mother may have been right. Um, uh, so this was a, a a paper that was published in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about it. Just kind of give you folks the uh, the highlights, um, and really I talk, want to talk about it because it's it's relevant as uh, as the temperature is dropping uh, in our northern hemisphere here. And uh, the findings are that the ability of your uh, of your nose to handle incoming pathogens uh, and defeat them, neutralize them, is severely degraded in the cold. So the reason that uh, my mother was right, potentially, is uh, at least according to this paper, is that you can, you know, almost catch cold. That you can uh, through cold exposure you know, impair your body's ability to, uh, to counteract 
pathogens that would otherwise enter through the nose. Put on your scarf or you're going to catch a cold, Michael. <laughs> That's it, right? Or like, or put on your mask, really, because, yeah. you know, the mask does double duty as, as filtration, obviously, but also in keeping the keeping your face warmer and your nose warmer. So interestingly, the uh, so the so the the way that uh, this this study was conducted was they they had folks who uh, who spent some time in uh, I believe there were fairly mild conditions. It was only around zero centigrade, uh, so not not extreme cold, not the kind of cold that Andrew you and I talked about when we were talking about the lung damage study yeah. with the cross country skiers. I think I believe that was, that was minus, like minus fifteen. Yeah, minus fifteen to minus twenty five. I think were the range they were complaining about competing in. Yeah, so that was that was you know direct tissue damage. Whereas this, what's happening here is that um, there are cells in our nose, and uh, the nose is a is an amazing well, <laughs> is an amazing uh, part of our immune system because it actually does a, a lot of the heavy lifting in capturing of viral and bacterial particles as they as they try to invade our our respiratory system. Most of the time they enter through the nose and the nose is you know specifically adapted to to counteract this invasion um, through oh, I should have read this in advance. Here we go. <laughs> uh, through these uh, epithelium derived extracellular vesicles or EVs for short, not electrical vehicles. Uh, and then there's a, there's a receptor on those EVs, the toll-like receptor 3 or TLR3. So this these two these two components of the immune system, uh, as I said, they were they play a, a very substantial role in preventing infection. And what they found is that these uh, antiviral immune defense functions mediated by TLR three uh, stimulated TLR three stimulated EVs were impaired by cold exposure via decrease in the total EV secretion as well as diminished microRNA packaging and antiviral binding affinity in the individual EV. So this is me reading from the results. I of the was going to say that's an impressive sentence if you just whip that <laughs> off the cuff. Yeah, no, no, totally reading from the paper. So the microRNA piece is this is a component in these uh, in these EVs. I come on, still struggling with that acronym uh, that also help defeat the the invading viruses. So um, the the kind of the bottom line here is that if you if you allow the interior of your nose to reach this temperature of roughly you know zero degrees, which is not that you know not that cold considering if where we could be training in much below zero temperatures, then and there is a a, ser- a serious degradation of their abilities to to catch and kill uh, these invading virus particles. And then what ends up happening is then you you know you for example I, I think of this I think of myself in this situation all the time that I go out and I go for a nice run in the cold and I feel terrific and and you know brisk and then I come home to my uh, seemingly always ill children <laughs> home from school kids uh, and who are you know you know giving me cuddles and sneezing in my face. While my my most effective defense mechanism is at fifty percent of its uh, virus killing capacity, uh, so I am the the prime uh, the prime target for this the the, the results of this paper, uh, basically leading me to believe that I am doomed and there's no way that I can avoid my winter colds this year. <laughs> I think it's just in general with kids you cannot avoid colds. That's true, but you have to be extra careful. So what I do now, and it's you know, uh, Dan is my partner uh, makes fun of me for this, is that when I get home from a cold run after reading this paper, I put on a mask in my own house, so that for at least for the first little bit while while my face warms up, and then you know I give it like half an hour if I'm playing with my kids, especially if they are sick, which is like I said almost always, um, and then I can I can whip it off after that. Well, the advantage with that is when you come in from the cold, um, if your nose starts running, at least it's covered up and you don't have to get embarrassed about that. So <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I'm one of those people that like, especially in the cold, it's, it's, it's like a faucet, it's like my nose running. 
So my my big scientific question here is will a bigger nose help with viral protection? <laughs> <laughs> I think a longer nose would, but a wider nose probably oh, okay. would not. That would be my guess. Like if the, if the the air had to travel through a longer skinnier hose to get to your lungs, then probably, but if it had to, you know, if it had a big wide opening, then probably not. That's my total <laughs> off the top of my brain kind of answer. I'm just trying to find a way to spin this and say, no, I don't have a big nose. I have increased viral protection. <laughs> That's it. That's right. That's what you do. <laughs> increased viral protection. It's the, yes, that's the, that's the evolutionary advantage of a big schnoz, Andrew. Okay. I also so, share this advantage with you. So yes. we're, we're in good company. <laughs> uh, that, well, I can't, I know you're not English background, but uh, for me that uh, I think it comes heavily from the English side of my family. <laughs> Well, listen, like cold, damp climate, maybe it was an evolutionary advantage to have a big schnoz. Could be. Maybe that's yeah. a follow-up study for this. <laughs> that's right. We'll have to contact the study authors. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's with uh, with that, uh, you know, shout out to my mom for being right, for telling me to bundle up and not not go play in the cold for too long. I think we'll wrap up our return episode. Um, Andrew, it's been a pleasure to uh, sit face to face. Well, Let's say computer to screen computer. with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As personal and, uh, as it gets these days. <laughs> For sure. Until you come back to Ontario and then we can hang out. Um, but yeah, listeners, as always, thank you very much for, uh, well, hopefully coming back to listen to us this time. And uh, we promise that we'll, uh, we'll have more frequent episodes for you to listen to as, uh, as the new year kicks off too. Including some updates about Super Sapiens. So that'll be uh, very interesting to follow along with and get uh, some actual professional input as opposed to our pseudoscience that we sometimes try and reason through. Our regurgitation of, what, of yes. the emails that they send us. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, folks. Uh, we'll talk to you soon.